This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alec the Third. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show, where I strive to elevate people and ideas so that together we can reach new heights. Today's episode features Sharon Hellevy, who is an actor, a director, a painter, and currently uh, she directed Damascus, It's in Syria, which has been adapted for these times um, and reconceived as a digital play for Instagram, which launched about a week ago um, on September 26th, and um, new kind of episodes will be released uh, every day for a month. Um, So check that out. So about a week's worth are up now. Um, Not sure as as I'm recording this if another one's coming out, but yeah, they come out every day. So follow it on Instagram. Um, It's Instagram. If you search Instagram, search Damascus, you'll find it. And it's d.ii is, so it's like this a play for IG. Um, The links will be in the show notes, but if you search Instagram, if you search Damascus play, you should be able to find it. So check that out, and I'm really excited to share this conversation. I've gotten to know Sharon uh, over the course of a couple of years through Actors Launchpad here in New York. Um, She's also an acting coach. I don't think I mentioned that. Excellent, excellent acting coach. Um, I've really gotten, I've really enjoyed getting to know her and work with her on some level. Um, I think we're kind of becoming friends also, and... I know at some point um, we'll be able to work together on something, collaborate on something or some things in the future, uh, just because I need that to happen. So I, I very much look forward to sharing this conversation with you. I hope you enjoy it. Follow the links in the show notes. Also follow uh, Art for Sharon um, on Instagram, and you can find her website through there too and in the show notes. So without further ado, this is Sharon Halavi. Let's have a conversation. Hi. Hello, how are you? Good. Would me being in headphones be better for you? Or I don't know if it matters. Um, I was debating that myself. Um, yeah, it ha- I've done it both ways and it's been fine. Sometimes there has been an echo in the beginning. So maybe, you know, why don't we both headphone up? Yeah. Aha. Yes. Cool. Uh, and I, they, I don't think they're coming back anytime soon. But just in case, I'm one. My parents actually, because they went out for the day. But if they haven't even responded to a text, they're probably like way out and somewhere on the motorcycles. So we'll get there. On their motorcycles. If they come in, I'm... Yes. Yeah. I grew up on bikes. It's a whole thing. Do you have a motorcycle? (laughs) Not yet. I'm... So, I don't know how to drive. I don't even have, like, a driver's license. And I want a motorcycle license, but they've changed the law in New York City that you have to have a driver's license in order to get a motorcycle license. So I started, I got my learner's permit just before pandemic. 
and then pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate cards. I hate them so much. They make me so uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it because I, I want like, I want a ninja. I want a ninja bike. I want something that's like small, tiny. I can just like zip about on. I, uh, when I was back in school in Virginia, I went through the motorcycle thing to get the endorsement on the driver's license and was about to buy a motorcycle. I was about 25 and basically I went through like the whole process, even had like started buying the gear. I didn't, I hadn't bought the bike, um, but I passed the motorcycle course and I had one of those dreams that was basically, I got the motorcycle and I died like in the dream. And I was just sort of like, I, I don't always listen to dreams. (laughs) Last night I actually had a (laughs) a ghost nightmare. Um, That was pretty funny. Yeah. Like I realized like something I brought in the house um, was haunting everything. (laughs) And it was like, in the bed like it was like a blanket it's like that's a haunted blanket i need to get that out of here and burn some sage um and then in the dream yeah i noticed that like my dogs had marked somewhere on the floor like as i'm as i'm ghost busting i realized man i gotta like clean up after my dogs now too and so it was like i just that was like you know that dream was disturbing in a way but not right one where i'm like i need to i need to take some change the motorcycle one was like it felt mm. real and so i i didn't yeah. go through like and what i messed up though is i should have got it onto my license because i just didn't right. do i just stopped everything with it um but i so you yeah. never like yeah so you'll have to like redo the whole process if you ever yeah. want to do it again and i would I get that and it comes yeah. up yeah. Like, I that's mean, a, it's funny. Like, it's... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, no. Do I was just going to say, that's like a... Um, as far as, like, actors and special skills, that's one on the resume that's actually pretty big if you actually have a motorcycle license. Really? It, like, it came wow. up one time last year for, like, a commercial, and it was, like, they wanted they wanted more, like... Pacific Islanders, but the picture they had was like they had um, a couple of like the um, New Zealand actors. They had The Rock, like as one of the guys. And so sometimes, like I get pulled in because like The Rock is mixed also. Um, But basically, I was like, yeah, I think I think I could have had a shot at that thing had I had a motorcycle license. Damn it. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I've truly been on them since I was three years old. And they would put a bungee cord across the back seat because I would fall asleep all the time. And, like, mm-hmm. the helmet was heavy, so I would just, like, be flopping like a fish on the back of my parents' motorcycles. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, I've, like, I've seen my dad get into accidents and everything. And I think there's something to know is that when you get a bike – people in cars don't look for motorcycles. So it's on you. It's actually better to be a slightly more reckless rider than a safe rider, as crazy as that sounds. But it's actually like safer to go between cars and to kind of um, 
lean because it gets you noticed. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like it's um, a funny thing. Do you bike at all? Mm-mm. Weirdly, that freaks me out. And it is freaky, and it is like you know you're supposed to on the one hand obey the laws, but I mean I've never gotten ticketed or anything because sometimes what happens is I do like I anticipate lights. Um, I I break the rules all the like I cross like a little bit ahead of the light because. Yeah. Um, a lot of the cars, even if they do see you on the bike, like I see people honk at bikes all the time for just being on the street where yeah. you have to ride. And so it's like, for me, I'm anticipating like that same yeah. thing so that I can get out of the way of like the traffic. Yeah, you know? that's good. Exactly. I know I should start practicing on a bicycle. I think like people, what's funny is that yeah, cars are scary around bicycles, but for me, the thing that's more terrifying are people. Yeah. Because, like, especially now that with all the restaurants on the outside of the bike lanes and, like, no one's paying attention, that's been really creepy. I've seen quite a few bicycle accidents happen lately. Mm. Um, but I then wonder if it's, like, now the bike lanes are useless, so let's get back right. to the street. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's just funny. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So, so what are we doing? That's an today? intro there, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, we're having a conversation. Nice. We're just going to talk about things. Um, so, starting off, I learned about you and motorcycles um, and that there's a motorcycle in your future. And maybe there's a motorcycle in my future. I don't know if I'm going to be allowed to do that, but, you know, right. I make my own decisions to a point. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I do, you know, the silver lining is probably being that I haven't been riding a motorcycle um, since that time. I've ridden motor scooters since that time. And like, whenever I go to Amsterdam, I rent a motor scooter for like a day. That's cool. different because it's like figured out over there. Traffic, life, right. politics, it's like figured out. It's like organized. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it'd be good probably to do an actual motorcycle course again for safety and actually remembering how to do things, so. Yeah, there is apparently a place in the Bronx or somewhere in Brooklyn. I think there's a spot in Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to get my... I just want to find a school that they're like, here's your drivers and your motorcycle, and then we get you through, and then that's it. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good. So how are you doing today? I'm, how am I today? <laughs> I feel like every day that's such a question now, because things feel so day-to-day. But things are good. Today actually felt a bit like a normal day. I, you know, we I've been doing renovations in my home finally after not being able to live in my apartment for the last five months. Um, and so we're able to get that started. And, uh, but I've had to be at my place every day. I'm staying with my parents now. Um, and I've had to be there every day starting at 8 a.m. to let contractors in. So it's been early mornings, but it's good because I'm getting to work a lot in my studio as a painter. Uh, but today I was like, 
I'm going to sleep in till eight. <laughs> and uh, it's funny. There is something so satisfying in a day of errands. I feel like I haven't had a day of errands in a really long time. Like I went to return some jeans and it was thrilling. And like, I am going to Long Island for, uh, to see a friend um, and her husband because it's his birthday. And uh, I like went and picked up some babka from Zabar's, which was magical. And I don't know, I just kind of got to walk around and hop in and out of shops. And I didn't feel freaked out for the first time, which was really, uh, was nice. After like the third location I was in, I went into a paper source and got a dumb little like stress squeeze ball as a gift. <laughs> and it's bright orange, it's fantastic. Um, and I was in the middle of the store and I was just, it hit me that I was okay being inside of a shop and that felt huge in a funny way so it's and good was the was the shop like is there still like limiting the amount of people inside yeah they definitely are um they're they're being really cautious funny enough when i went to return the jeans they even took my temperature going in um and then when i went to pick up babka i had to stand online outside uh, yeah, but it's still just the fact alone of being able to be somewhere and like touch things. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'd become so dependent on online shopping for so this whole half year now that I, I forgot how much I love <laughs> being in places. Yeah, I'm big on retail therapy, so mm -hmm. <laughs> good times. And um, for a lot of the time, like over the last few months, you've been working on an online show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been developing this play by Kate Mully called Damascus, It's in Syria. Uh, and it's, it's cool. We started working on the show in 2018. Uh, we had a run at Dixon Place and it's, I love this strange little play. It started off as a poem uh, and I went to Kate and was just like, this, I feel like this could actually be a show. This is so visceral, this two minute poem that she had written. Um, and it's about this woman who went to high school and to college with the, her high school boyfriend who she went to prom with, but they weren't together for the whole time and had an on and off again fuck buddy situation to be <laughs> quite blunt. Uh, and then where the play kind of begins is her, we've rewritten it to set it kind of during pandemic time without actually saying that. And it's her thinking back on 2010, the last time that her and him had been together, but the kicker, was that he uh, was about to go to Damascus for work. And so the play essentially goes back and forth between real life feelings and like, why am I still thinking about this? I'm like an amazing woman, I'm accomplished, I'm smart, I'm talented, but like I'm obsessing 
over this thing while I'm living alone in my apartment for all these months. And then the other side of it is then we enter full fledged fantasy of what it would have been like if she had gone to Damascus and like kind of speaks to anything that is political or anything along those lines based on headlines that she remembers um, and deals a lot with her own privilege and identity and uh, yeah, just, you know, the way that we grasp and as it goes, we go deeper and deeper into the fear of how our imagined memories can be as strong, as palpable as our real ones and that back and forth. Um, so yeah, and we've adopted it for Instagram and broken up the text to actually fit not only posts, but swipes versus IGTV and how it's going to be the experience of the audience member is equally important to listening to the words in the play. Hmm. Yes. So uh, where in the process is it now? Like, mm. like development? Yeah, so we just finished filming everything, which was really exciting because um, we've also been working with a lighting designer and costuming and a sound designer. Uh, we've been lighting our actresses home remotely. Um, so we got all these bulbs and things that you can control via different apps and hmm. she, yeah. So like our main actress, Marlo Holden, who's brilliant, is in her apartment in one part of Brooklyn. And then Marika Kent, who's the lighting designer, is in another part of Brooklyn. And then the sound designer is in New Haven <laughs> and Alec Deva. And we're all like zooming and trying to deal with our delay as she's changing the lighting inside of her apartment and all of that. So it took actually quite some time to get through filming and uh, figuring out the editing process for that. And now we are essentially building each of the individual posts and adding in the whole sound design because there is all original music that's being composed for this. And then, yeah, and then we're hoping to release at the end of this month, at the end of September. Um, and like each day will be posted each day at the time that this character would be posting. Very so cool. it's almost like following her social media inside of it. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a good place to I usually do this later, but so where, what, like, where do people find this on Instagram? Oh, yeah. So we just changed the name. So give me a second. You can already start following. Um, and the name is D.I.I.S a play for IG. Found it. Yeah. Great. Nice. Um, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Um, and awesome. definitely keep me posted and I'll try to release this, um, synchronize those, you know, if you I will. will. Yeah, but feel free to follow it. Um, that'll yep. also be great. Thanks. I made that poster too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's pretty. Cool. Um, and so speaking of, uh, you've been doing a lot of painting as well. Um, yeah. So I think actually 
I can tie these two things together that I was going to ask you. So one, you could talk about the painting a little bit, but also I kind of want to go back and talk about how this project came together, Mm -hmm. um, how like you kind of have developed as an artist in New York City. Um, Mm. Because I know that I still have a long way to go on the journey. However, after being here for 12 years, I'm finally, like I'm seeing a lot of full circle things and finally realizing just like anywhere else, it's a small world after all. So like the community actually isn't as overwhelmingly big as it seems. Like there's a ton of people, but it's like, it's a tight knit community. And so, yeah, so I just love to hear about your journey and how, Mm. you know, how you, because I think that's the thing over time here is like, you can really create some cool things. Yeah. Just by working with all the different cool people that are here doing cool things. Yeah. So I guess, and you're kind of asking in terms of generally just being an artist in the city, like being a director or where I came from as a performer or... Yeah, however you want to navigate that today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I do want to hear about the painting too, but I would say let's start maybe with the theater background. um, And then, yeah. Yeah. So, man, I, it was wild. You know, growing up my whole life, I was like, I'm going to be an actor on Broadway. My great white wire. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I did start working professionally. I didn't go to college. Um, and I, it was, it was a lot. I unfortunately, I actually don't know if you know this. I had a really crazy experience as an actor for my first four years. I had a, Uh, a manager who was purposely throwing me under the table. Um, So she would like book me huge, huge, huge auditions and then give me the wrong address, the wrong material, the wrong things. Or I would get a call back anytime I got a call back for larger like Broadway or film TV, uh, there would be other ways things would happen. And then one day her, uh, her assistant to the point where I was like blackmailed in the industry. (laughs) Uh, or not blackmailed, blacklisted. Um, and her assistant was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I need you to know that, like, That's I've been so told. Bad. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Um, so then I dropped her and I got an agent and I booked an equity tour. Uh, and the day I got back from tour, he retired and then died a week later. So suddenly I was left as a young 20 three 24 year old with no credits and equity and an actor and being like, I don't know. And I will say, um, uh, <laughs> pausing. I think it's okay. Great. Uh, and what was funny is I was working all the time, right? Like even through, even through EPAs and all of that, I was booking a lot and I'd made, so many friends and so many acquaintances. Hold on one second. Holding. Hey. Hey. Buzz. Stop. Or go down there. Ah, uh, sorry. No, that's okay. 
Um, but like, needless to say, I, I really entered a ton of different pockets as an actor. Um, and I was in and out of different conservatories and I dropped out of uh, four different schools. Um, but I was deeply unhappy as a performer. Um, and not because I didn't love the craft, I deeply loved the craft, but the life I found was really hard. And the biggest issue I had was in all of these gigs and shows I was booking, I hated so many of the rehearsal rooms and I really, really struggled with the directors. Auditions felt the, like the most unwelcoming environment. And I often left rooms being like, why the hell would I want to work for you? You made me feel like an ant in that room. Um, so after many breakdowns, I, I was like, well, how, how do I want to change my life? How do I, you know, I love this form of art. I love storytelling. Uh, I want to create a safe space. And so I was a chef at an artist's residency one summer and I met a playwright there and it's like, I've never had a play produced. And this was back when I was still working at the drama bookshop. So I had a free theater space. Uh, so I went, if you let me direct your play, I'll get it on its feet. And it spurred this crazy thing. And out of that, I found, like, I loved holding auditions and being able to read. I think I was surprised by how well I was able to read actors and read anxiety, stress, tension. Um, and then there just happened to be the right people in the audience. And then I immediately after that got to direct Jesus Hop the A-Train at stage two at the Atlantic. And it kind of snowballed. And then I was an assistant director at Roundabout Theater and for Sam Mendes and all of these other people um, and found that I was able to give this environment that I, I really cared about and started also learning what my voice was in the theater and finding that what I, I really care about is beauty and like making things beautiful, even if they're difficult, even if they're uh, scary or hilarious. But at the end of the day, I care so deeply about the audience to story communication, where I think a lot of times I watch a lot of theater and I feel like it's more of a show for the people in the show than it is a conversation or a dialogue. Um, and that kind of led me to realize why I love doing theater in the round or in runway or things like that, because I'm, I'm constantly trying to strive how to really let everything be personal. Like, how do I work with the actors in order for that to communicate the audience to feel like it's their story as well? Um, and that ended up really leading to teaching theater and finding that being someone that can help artists do their best, but not just because I'm there, but like almost helping find the, the like chipping stone for performers to be able to also understand how am I working? How am I constantly changing? How do I identify that? And that kind of became a major mission and then found that was bleeding a lot into 
what I was directing as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to marry those two things constantly. It, yeah, it makes sense. Um, like, I think kind of my critique, I, I do think it's changing. Like, I think I'm meeting more teachers who are like becoming successful, who are more about empowering like actors. Mm. Um, whereas I feel kind of the old school of thought. Yeah. It's kind of teaching actors to Fear. play into the, yeah, and play into the hierarchy. That's kind of yes. a false, I mean, it's a real hierarchy in that actors a lot of times aren't the decision makers. Um, yeah. But like, to me, I love the collaborative process. Yeah. And so it makes sense for you, like if you're in rehearsal rooms where people aren't really wanting to collaborate, that's not fun. And then it's right. also important for actors to know either way, like there's different ways of working. So some people might work well that way, but I do think there are a lot of actors that we play different roles. So it makes sense that maybe some of us are interested in writing as well or directing as well. And right. it used to be like pick a lane, but it's sort of like the directors I work best with usually understand are actors directors because they understand like my process. Um, and then I'm also an actor who kind of thinks about structure yeah. and direction as well. So it's like, it can be, I think, really good. So I love working with people who are like, I have these ideas. Um, I'm doing one of those Othello online things actually this week. Yeah, um, cool. And we had our, our meeting, meet and greet today. And like, basically they said at the beginning, just like, yeah, we cast it a certain way, but we also believe that whatever you all bring to the room will uplift the whole performance. And that's just what I think, yeah. to me, that's what it's about, you know? No, I agree, especially with how theater is changing these days, where it is becoming more forward inside of being political or more forward inside of um, wanting to evoke change in people. Um, that's not the right way to use the word evoke, to in, inspire change. Is yeah, it? I think evoke works too. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> but it's it is I think now more than ever do actors need to find the confidence to not only want to be collaborative but also know who am I and what do I have to bring to the table and how do I also know how to adjust at the table. Mm -hmm. Cuz to me the biggest issue is is stubbornness in two ways, right? right? There's the stubbornness of, ah, I'm so scared. Like, you just tell me what to do. And then the stubbornness of, well, this is what I think and that's what I'm gonna do. Like, right. that's not, otherwise then why have directors and actors? Mm -hmm. It's always, always, always a conversation, but you have to have the information to back it up. It's why I'm, I'm a stickler as you have come to learn working with me <laughs> um but i'm such a stickler for the script and the text because that is ultimately the basis of any any conversation that you can have between actor and director because then you know you have the common ground to work off of and say oh well i get this from the text 
but you get that. I see, I see where you're coming from. I have a way to understand your thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so you started directing and then, um, you were teaching also at Playwrights Horizon for a while. Yeah. I was teaching, so there was a, a crazy period of time that I was teaching at NYU for Playwrights Horizons. I was with their uh, directing students primarily. Um, and then I also would be teaching the, they have different tracks in the school. So you could be on the acting track, strictly the directing track or the like, I wanna learn how to do everything in theater track. Um, so for the, I wanna learn how to do everything in theater track, I ran a class called Rehearsal Process. Um, and then I also like was a one-on-one -on -one teacher for the directing program. So I, we would do about 25 shows a semester. So my main job was going into the rehearsals for all the young directors and working with them that way and letting parts of their rehearsal process be and feel like a classroom setting. Um, and then I also ran this other class there that the, the senior directing students or the top directing students uh, would be able to come and speak about their process, almost like director's group therapy, mm -hmm. um, and kind of guide and help problem solve things along those lines. So I, I kind of had my hand in all the different levels of that. And then I was also a direct, I was working, this is a funny thing. I was working at Marymount Manhattan with the dance department. I was brought in as a director to come work with their dance majors on storytelling and emotional storytelling through movement. Um, and then I was also at the Professional Performing Arts High School, my alma mater. Uh, and I was teaching their sophomore Shakespeare and Moliere classes. Uh, and then I was directing their eighth grade plays. Nice. Check off with eighth graders. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then I came to know you at Actors Launchpad, yes. which is a funny thing because, like, I always say now, like, there've been th like I have three creative homes right now, mm. and that's the Shelter Theater Company, um, and then Jen Waldman Studios. And then Actors Launchpad, and I feel like I don't I, I don't have much experience with like one on one or um, Green Room or Actors Connection, but so I'm not sure if everybody has this experience. But for me, like I go to some of the meetings with like casting directors and um, agents sometimes, and I've had a I've had some relationships come out of those. Um, yeah. It's been an interesting journey there. Um, but uh, I've really, your class is like one of the main, your class actually is the reason I used to tell people that were new there. I'd be like, yo, check out Actors Gym. Um, that, oh, thanks. that alone, like makes it all worth it. Um, mm. I stopped telling everybody that because I wanted to still be able to sign up for it. <laughs> Yes, um, thank you. That that um, really means a lot. Yeah. But uh but seriously, like that's like something consistent. And then also just in COVID, we've had mm. 
like just we read plays once a week like cold and then we read yeah. pilots once a week so i'm pretty much always there and also because at the beginning of this you were like you know you need to be practicing cold reading regularly and um i have my stubborn like things but i'm also mm-hmm. very open to that kind of thing where it's just like yeah. oh if i just do that then okay um right. and here it is like i don't even have to work hard to do it i just have to sign up and show up and and read yeah. and it's fun it's a great way to like it's actually it's important to read plays <laughs> like yeah it's like it fundamental is. like you know what i mean like um yeah meisner all the different techniques all those things are great but i really think like fundamentally reading plays it's like sometimes overlooked and it's one of those things mm-hmm. like if you want to be a better writer you need to read more yeah um, it's just just read plays i mean that's out loud but that's you know it's so funny and i love that you just said that because you know i've studied and uh read and worked with so many different teachers like it's it's a little absurd i've done meisner stanislavski stella adler uda hagen suzuki mm-hmm. viewpoints like i've literally studied each thing fully and at the end of the day nothing has ever helped me more as an actor as a director as a dramaturg as a teacher then my time working at the drama bookshop just reading plays and then as insane as I'm, this is about to sound growing up i went to a performing arts camp i went to french woods in the summers and i would do anywhere from 3 to 9 full shows every single summer fully costumed orchestrated and then see what like 20 shows every 3 weeks so i would experience anywhere from like 60 plus shows every 9 weeks of my summer time and it taught me how to look at character how to look at arc how to look at beginning middle and end of individual moments um how to listen right like so much of we every I, my favorite thing is is when i ask someone why do you love being an actor why do you love being a director and everyone's like well i love storytelling <laughs> and i want to be like that's great so what is storytelling and then you work with people and they are so hyper focused on getting the line right or doing right. this right and it's like no you have to think about the whole work backwards right like don't play the ending at the beginning but you have to know where you're going to end up mm-hmm. so i i always you know i'll always say to actors the minute you're working on a show or if there's callbacks and you are really really eager for the thing and there is a script available like you read the script every day and not just your scenes you jerks not just <laughs> your scenes you read the whole thing and it's because the amount you will understand and discover will only inform your performance Yeah, I get really I get really intense about that. No, but it's true. Um I I felt like a certain period of time 
like right after it was like right my senior year of high school I did like this intensive in Seattle that was like it was like five weeks nine to five um and it was like taught by like it was Seattle Children's Theater and Cornish College of the Arts and it was taught by like a bunch of working actors like around Seattle some were more dance some were you know there was like specialties one was stage combat um but that was really good and that kind of launched me into my senior year in high school Mm -hmm. starting to like be called in for like professional things and then pretty much right after high school started working and then the year after high school I got like a diversity scholarship for like a conservatory in Seattle and that first year was really good um the second year was good too but like my experience was the first year was really solid and I wasn't as busy that year like working the second Mm. year was meisner and and i did two plays at the same time so i was like 20 balancing meisner and a couple of like pretty full plays and i was the baby like so i was like 20 and then i think the next oldest was like 26 and like up and basically like with the meisner stuff the beginning of class i liked i liked the repeating exercises but then when we started having to bring in our own stories and our own stakes, I was being told like, raise the stakes. And I was like, I don't have any stakes. I'm 20. Oh you know? my God. Like, I don't have yeah. any life experience. Like, this is it. Like these things yeah. that I'm bringing in, I can't imagine, but sure. this is it. Um, but then I found, and then I went back to school and somewhere along the way, I felt like, I felt overtrained at a certain point. Like I yes. felt like I lost something that I had when I was like 18. And it's, and I'm not saying, cause I do believe in like training, but I also think there's a way where you get too in your head and you like yeah. get disconnected from yourself. Well, and I think a big part of that, cause I actually, I think it's insane personally that acting programs are four years. I think that's the worst idea ever in this industry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's because school theater is not always, depending on the school, right? But is not actually experience. It's a bubble. And like, yes, we all need a period of time where it's safe to fail and encouraged to fail. But at the same time, at the same time, the minute that all you do is classes and scene work and you maybe get to do a show a year, you actually lose touch as to what instinct actually means. Like, I think it's great that there are all these impulse classes that are available, but at the same time, impulse classes are useless until you are able to actually apply in a performance. Because the, re- the moments that we need to actually really follow impulse tends to be when something goes wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's a, funny, it's a funny mix. And I find that so often with education, the minute that's... This is actually what really started me teaching because I was working with so many actors that were so stifled and were so scared. And it's because they trained for so long with the same group of people. And so the minute that they were met with 
new voices, new ideas, new castmates. It was really, really complicated. And people didn't know how to voice their opinion or they would get frustrated that people didn't understand their language the same way. And it's caused so many rifts and suddenly you're getting all of these actors in their early 20s being like, maybe I'm not good. Like, oh, I don't know how to communicate. I just, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to tell everyone else what, tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And that's where I get so heartbroken that so many conservatories or BFA programs have gone into a state of uh, a really mechanical way of teaching because mm -hmm. they need to just get more students in to get more money in. And then all of a sudden the craft actually disappears. And then everyone is taught the same exact way, which I think, and you know, from my class, I, I really, outside of, you know, everyone being taught the same thing about breath, but um, I really, really try to approach each student as though it's a new class and really work with you based on what you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember in when I was back in school in VCU, uh, I got a compliment from one of my friends and it was something because there were, there was all of these politics with that school. There was like mm -hmm. a lot of things going on and there was like a weird thing where like I had my union card. And so some of the things that they would try to say, I was just like, that's bullshit. Like yeah. basically trying to tell people based on who is cast in what main stage show is a predictor of what's going to happen outside of no. these walls. I was like, that doesn't mean anything because I know people who like never went to school. I know people who there's just so many different paths and it doesn't, yeah. it's not a factor when it comes to casting what you've done before right. really. Um, and so basically one thing that I was able to do a little bit going back to school actually was kind of, uh, I was 24 when I started up there again. So it's like I had a little bit more life experience and yeah. kind of knew what I wanted to get out of it. And basically understanding the whole thing is a process. And yeah. so when you're given an assignment, you do your best, but it's like, sometimes if you're given an assignment in a short period of time, um, like, of course, if you're cast, sometimes things you have a short period of time to like do it, yeah. but it's like this, it's still a classroom. And I'm not saying I look at rehearse. I look at rehearsals, my favorite period, but it's for the discovery and the growth. So it's basically, yeah. I got to a point where I would try things in class and sometimes, sometimes they would work really well. And sure. uh, sometimes they would fall flat on their face, mm. but I would not, I wouldn't, I was not apologetic about it. And that's what somebody oh. noticed. And she was just like, I appreciate that you just, you kind of, she's, she noticed that I kind of knew for my, like I was evaluating how it went for myself, yeah. but to not beat yourself up. Cause that's the thing you see for people who haven't been to acting school is it's like people, there is pressure that the school puts on, but then people put pressure on themselves to where mm -hmm. they have to feel they have to nail everything. And then when right. something 
doesn't it doesn't even have to go bad but in their head they're like that didn't and then they break wow. down yeah and the tears and all of that and it's like sometimes it's you know i know um yeah well it's also you know and it it's so funny to me because it's when we're in rehearsal like the whole point is to try things yeah and i think we often forget that right and i think what i i always what i always wish that actors would understand is that it's actually through the mistakes that you end up inspiring yeah. right like there's been so many times I've completely changed what I thought a scene was going to be like because of something an actor did. And then they stop and go, ah, sorry. And it's like, no, <laughs> keep it. And it's so thrilling because the minute that we quote unquote mess up is the moment that we actually were doing something genuine mm -hmm. and we weren't pre-planning, right? And so suddenly it's, oh, maybe that was actually what is the natural instinct of this moment. Um, and I just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to belittle anything, but it's just words on paper. Right. Right? Like we're just putting, taking words that are on paper and slapping them up into this box and being like, what do you think of this? Does this make you think about anything? And then that's it. And it's just to spur thought and conversation or joy or rage or sadness, but it's, it's more about being part of something as opposed to doing the something right. Mm -hmm. Because like, that's impossible, right? Like it's not possible to do anything right. Because, <laughs> except for like math, but it's, it's just because we're all people with our own different ideas and our different opinions. It's not. Yeah. We're playing human beings. Human beings yes. are not perfect. <laughs> like. No. And like, this is the biggest thing I try to remind actors all the time where it's like normal people are not actors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they like don't know that they're delivering something. So it's about, I mean, don't get me wrong. We want to watch people that actually know what they're doing, but it's about finding the balance of remembering that even as actors or performers or artists that we too are people. We're just viewed as wizards, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there is something about like, there are people, there are people that can give the same performance to a T Yes. night after night yeah and i don't know if i can do that the same way like maybe i don't want to do that though um yeah but yeah that balance between going on that journey and honoring those different right. parts yeah and you know the thing about people that are capable of the same performance night after night like there is something there is validity to that as right. well as danger Right. Mm -hmm. Just like being a really spontaneous actor night after night yeah. has pros and cons. But it's also like you're working on a show for over a year and doing it eight times a week. Like sometimes you need to be able to know I can just give a consistent performance and I don't have to think about it. Yeah. Because sometimes it's part of it too, especially mm -hmm. if you're working on a difficult show or like a triggering show you have to also know how to do the job. Yeah. You know, as we're sitting here talking about that, I'm sitting here thinking maybe I should try th that direction for a little while. 
just as far as it's another way. It's just another way of working. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hurt. Putting a container. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just to see. You might, because what I actually found when I was performing, I was one of those actors. I was mm -hmm. very like, here's the performance. I do it day to day, unless something really happens or I see something from my scene partner. Like, you have to adjust to that. Yeah. Right? Um, but what I did love about being that kind of a container performance, I love that, uh, is I actually ended up making more discoveries because suddenly when things hit me, I was like, oh, that hit me, as opposed to trying to figure out how to make it something of the moment. Mm -hmm. So it varies. But then other times I'm like, no, this has to be like an impulsive, crazy kind of a gig. Yeah. Depends. Yeah. Depends on the role. And then film acting is a combination yeah. of those both too, because you have to hit your marks. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Depending and on, and then depending on who you're working with. Right. Because <laughs> I hear and like the like, Duplass brothers are like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also it really depends on your editor, right? Like know your editor who is making that movie because then if it if it's a good editor then like you know you can take your time in a scene if you need to because they will make it look good mm -hmm. um yeah it's just a big big tip so that brings me to um and this is like a thought i've had recently which is i i've been pretty excited about um so COVID like pulled the rug on everybody. It changed everything. Um, everything that we kind of thought was gonna happen didn't happen this year. Um, we're in a different like place than we thought we would be. Like I think all of us. Um, I also think that's always the case in life yeah. actually. So it's also, you know, put perspective on just how we perceive life. Like you never know what's going to happen. Um, mm. And I've been very excited about like the innovation. So like the show you're working on, um, mm. I know like Labyrinth, they, they did a remount of uh, Our Lady of 121st Street. Yeah, um, it was great. The I public did, a, you know, Shakespeare on the radio um, and they did the line. Um, so seeing all these different artists, theater artists, make theater. Um, and it's not the same as live theater, but making art, storytelling, um, yeah. under the constraints that we're under. I'm excited about it just because I love innovation. I love like new ideas. I think it's really cool that you're using Instagram and that platform and how that platform works to tell the story. So that mm -hmm. makes it that makes it theater to me when you're yeah. actually using the way people use that to tell the story. Um, and you know, a lot of things are done, like a lot of people are using Zoom. So there's like a lot of Zoom plays. My yeah. play I'm writing kind of is on Zoom right now. And I do think like this form or these forms that we're playing with there it is different than live theater yeah. but it's also 
not film to me either. I agree. Yeah. So I'm very curious, like after like things get like open up again and there is live theater again, kind of what's going to happen with these new forms. So I wonder what you think about that. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a bunch as well. Um, I think we're going to start experiencing a lot of hybrid theater. Mm -hmm. So like, I think immersive theater is going to really change. Um, I, I weirdly have a feeling that a lot of things are going to be like, oh, it starts digitally and then we move into the physical. Or I think a lot of people are going to be thinking about technology and digitalization a lot more in live performance now. Um, you know, did you see the West Side Story that was on Broadway? We were going to see it, actually, yeah. like right around... <laughs> right yeah. around the same time because it was course. a dutch director i think yeah well yeah. it was um evo ivo evo whatever it's i usually have a lot of issues with him as a director honestly um like i saw his uh view from the bridge and crucible uh and a lot of stuff I felt was gratuitous or was there for the sake of like being interesting, which is my biggest pet peeve. Um, but sorry, Evo. Uh, I what was incredible with this production of West Side was the whole back was a massive screen, which you didn't know until things happened, and then all of the screen was connected to like security cameras in different parts of the stage. So suddenly, like when Maria was in the the tailor shop, um, words that I can't remember, uh, while like you kind of saw her through the storefront window, we were mainly watching what was happening live on this massive screen so you felt like you were watching security tape footage Mm -hmm. um or something that they did that i thought was really smart uh after the big fight and uh officer krupke it's just before officer krupke and he comes out and he's like what's wrong with you boys like what are you doing you're messing up the streets and they had one of the guys actually take out his phone and start recording him and then that's what appeared So it was things like that that I actually thought were so useful in storytelling and all of that. And I think what is interesting about COVID is it's actually expanding our vocabulary on how to storytell. Like, it's been really wild watching Zoom theater where at the beginning it's a bunch of people just trying to do scenes via here and then as it went on you started watching oh if we pre-record we can make the boxes do this and I hand you a prop and then you take the prop from me so we mail the prop to both people or how do we do things have you seen any of theater in quarantine by Joshua William Gelb no any of his stuff you should really check out his the YouTube page for theater in quarantine um this really great theater artist him and I worked together in February on uh, the play I was developing where I was live painting as the painter Helen Frankenthaler. Um, And we developed this show together at the New Ohio. Um, But he being immunocompromised, uh, cleared out a closet in his home and painted it white and 
has made a white box and like doing crazy live theater with all of these people remotely like changing his screen and doubling screens and all of this but doing it all live um so i highly recommend checking it out all of this stuff is available on youtube um but yeah i think it's just gonna really get people a back to the text because that's really the most interesting thing that can happen right now and i think yeah yeah i think a lot of people are gonna try to find very very different ways of using all the things that we've had to learn i also am wondering though is how traditional are some people gonna go like i feel like there might also be some backlash if i'm so tired of innovative theater i just want like revivals and quiet <laughs> like i think there's gonna be a bit of a war in theater mm -hmm. um it's i mean it's already so rapidly changing inside of covid just in terms of everything that is being discussed and happening and the new rules even things like intimacy direction and how that is deeply changing theater um and we were just on the cusp of that before covid hit and now i'm really curious since we've had this time to sit think process what's gonna happen in that regard mm -hmm. yeah also as far as like intimacy there's a health concern on top yes. of it like yeah when things go back it's like when when things do start going back into like normal production it doesn't mean that like covid is gone until there's right um a vaccine and then there's also other we're just aware of of this type of thing happening now as a possibility yeah. so well you so i'm also a intimacy director mm -hmm. and i've worked with many but it was wild like worrying while i was working i was thinking about this a lot at the beginning of covid um because you know covid was such a collected trauma and for a lot of people that are not used to be scaring of being scared of air or being scared of other people i think that some people have had a real shock to their system that even with a vaccine they will have difficulty being touched. I think there's going to be a new sense of PTSD or of trauma that it's going to kind of exist in general. Um, and when I was teaching at Playwrights and I would work with the amazing Michael Gerver in teaching intimacy direction, um, you know, we've had a lot of students who have dealt with sexual trauma and doing even in the safest confines of having an intimacy choreographer was still really hard for a lot of them so actually having to adjust sex scenes or any kind of sexualized scenes and making them abstract and like how do you build the challenge of magical realism into a magic into a real moment and finding like oh how do we like rip these actors apart and have them both do the acts of intimacy but separately in a way that is still enticing and delicious and thrilling and sexy um or unfortunate and terrifying and mm -hmm. uh all the other things i am really really hoping that directors and intimacy directors 
are going to be prepared to go in having to work more in the abstract form. And I really hope that actors find the confidence to come forward and speak up and say, I am someone, I'm so thrilled to be here. I still need distance. I need social distancing. I'm not comfortable kissing or touching. Um, and I really hope that there will be empathy and sympathy inside of the industry when we come back. Because uh, trauma is real. It's mm -hmm. really, really real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, that reminds me just, I did, I don't know when this thing's going to come out, but like I did a web series probably like a year ago now. Um, and my character had a sex scene mm. and I remember like the woman I had the sex scene with, like she had some concern, like she has like kids and yeah. so she was worried. And so she was like, just sort of like, um, you know, I don't, she didn't want her face like on video with her kids. And I remember because like, you know, I graduated high school in like 1999 mm. and the industry was quite a bit different back then. Like they, straight up did tell us back then like yeah if you have to kiss somebody on stage like that's your job as an actor right like, if you have to do this and so i kind of subscribed to that a little bit mm. um and so i had the impulse just sort of, of just like frustrated like we're, we have this day to get all this stuff done yep. um if we don't get this scene right like you know what i mean like how do we tell the story but I remember like just some, something just told me just, just listen. And, you know, she asked me what I thought and I was just sort of like, it's true. Like it wouldn't have worked otherwise, but I told her right. just, um, I just want you to be comfortable. Good. And then like it, like everything went without a problem and it was probably like, there was a trust there that yeah. made the scene way just not awkward at all, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the, that's the key, right? Is just letting someone feel okay. And that's it. Because I think the minute that that's established, nothing then feels like too much, mm -hmm. you know? But again, it's always just about checking in and um, not being afraid to ask for a coordinator or making sure that there's someone in the room that is able to watch from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so bringing this back around to the flyer um, and your painting, how, ah. did, how does that kind of, yeah, yeah, where does that story fold in? <sighs> yeah. So. It's funny, like growing up, I did a lot of silk screening. I love to sketch and to doodle. Um, and then as theater became more prevalent, I kind of let that go. Uh, and then it was about five years ago now, I, I was in a really beautiful, but a really difficult relationship. Um, and I found myself, and I was working a ton as a director and I was, the cook in a restaurant it was like a whole thing. <laughs> and I just needed something that felt uh, quiet and completely my own. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I started, I started painting and I posted, uh, I did my first abstract work and I posted it on Instagram and someone was like, oh, can I commission something? Okay, a hundred dollars. <laughs> and uh, I've not been without a commission since then. Like it's, it's a little, it was kind of insane having something that I didn't feel like I was ever proving my worth inside of. It was just very like, oh, I want something. I want something. Um, and it really, and this was fascinating. It really taught me to listen to like what my voice is as an artist. And like, I found what my interview questions kind of ended up being because with every person I work with um I'm primarily a commission-based artist and every person I work with we go through not only budget and uh size of the painting because I I work with you based on your budget I just care far more about you being able to have artwork in your home than about like making thousands of dollars uh and I found similar to theater like story is so important to me and having something to represent but as opposed through text and sound i'm representing it through color and texture uh so i will ask all my clients like please tell me what you hope this painting will evoke what you hope this painting can remind you of or inspire you or give you um and then i really started learning that if i don't have sound on of some kind in the background, I can't paint. So then it led to being like, actually, hey client, can you give me a playlist or give me an album or something to work to? And so every single client, I work off of their story, their memory, their photos, and whatever they give me to listen to. Um, and it's wild because there is ultimate trust 97% of the time, right? Mm. Where it's like, I'm hiring you because I believe in you as an artist. And like, I'm gonna love whatever you give me because I know it's based on my story. And like, I know that you are the painter that's doing it for me. And there's real, uh, there's real beauty inside of that. And it really taught me to not only trust my clients but also trust myself and to honor my own work like if i don't like the painting i will not give it to the client i will like erase it and do it over um and it's it's so informed me as a theater maker as well because it taught me patience um i think i used to be someone that was very afraid of standing still I always had to do something. I would never rest. I'd be working around the clock. And like in painting, you you literally have to sit and watch paint dry. Because sometimes in the literal watching process of it, you see how the color changes, how the texture changes. And then you know, if I hit it at this point, it will actually like adjust the texture in a way that I want it to or that I don't want it to. So it's not like I can do and like, all right, gotta wait for paint to dry and then go do something else like no i have to actually just sit breathe watch and then attack and it's a really 
it's really taught me as a teacher and as a director what it is to watch a performance and to kind of let it happen and then to really dive right in at the moment. It's like, okay, now I know, like if we adjust this, then the rest will follow through. Um, so yeah, and like in the in pandemic, it's been insanity. Like I, I've never had so much painting work as I do right now. Um, I'm in the midst of 16 commissions at the moment and it's, wow. yeah, <laughs> it's insane. Um, and I think though, there's something kind of amazing that's happening that a lot of people are thinking about what home means. And a lot of the commissions I'm getting is people speaking about trans transitions that they're experiencing, transformations inside of themselves, as well as what it means to find peace and solitude inside of stillness. Like it's so, so many of these paintings, while none of these people know each other, uh, are all so reflective of the same thing. And it's, it's given me a lot of like hope about humanity as well. Um, yeah, that's how painting came to be. Do you write as well? No. Okay. I wish. That's because I. That's where I can relate to it. Like it's, um, and it's also one of those things you were talking about. Like it's always kind of been there, um, and yeah. I don't even realize that it has. But um, my mom sent like a box. She's like consolidating things, so she sent like a box of like childhood books. So I was expecting those. But when I opened it up, it also had some artifacts from growing up. Well, some of them being like writings and stuff like that. And then kind of remembering, yeah. oh yeah, that's always been there. And it's also always been a thing that's kind of in the back of my mind um, mm -hmm. where I haven't fully believed in it myself. And not because I didn't think it was good, but just sort of like, I don't know what I have like, I don't know what I have in me to like get out. Sort of like you don't know what you're gonna, like if you have painting right. in you until you start doing it. And yeah. the weird thing of like, yeah, like there's, it's writing, but as you're writing, it's like, you're reading, you're thinking, I maybe yeah. have an idea when I sit down and write, but sometimes it's like starts coming together as you're doing it, it's so weird. Yeah, I can't pre-plan a painting. Mm -hmm. It can't happen. Like, if I try, it'll never come out that way. Yeah. But it's, it's just, I think that there is something in just honoring that your brain knows how to work. Mm -hmm. Right? And like, your body will follow suit. But you, it really does take ultimate trust. And kind of what I was speaking about before inside of the rehearsal process, like all my best work has happened through mistakes. Like I, I don't think I ever would have made an abstract painting if I didn't fuck up trying to paint a woman. Like I was just trying to make a human figure and it did not go well. And I got so angry and I just like smudged it. 
And there was something inside of the texture that felt so on point to what I was feeling and what I was trying to say through making this woman, this figure in the shape that she was. And that actually just felt more accurate. And saying, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, there's a book, I think it's called Finding Commandante. Um, check that one out. It's, it's about, it's a big part of it has to do with painting. Um, cool. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it and yeah, share that one. Cause that's like, cause he's a portrait artist. Um, yeah. Cool. But then there's a whole thing of like, sometimes the portraits aren't, don't look like the person but they do, Great. you know Yeah, what I mean? it's like their essence, but yes. not necessarily their face. Yeah. I love that. Um, Sci-fi and all that stuff. Uh, where's the best place for people to like, to follow your painting and find that work? Yeah, um, Instagram will be the most updated. It's also my website name, Art by Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N-E. But yeah, if you just look up Art by Sharon, uh, it should, you should find my page on Instagram. And then again, it's the same name for my website. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you still have aspirations to act on Broadway? You know, I think that it's something that will never leave me. Mm -hmm. I think what I don't aspire to is auditioning. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do, you know, I miss performing a lot. And in February, it was the first time I'd acted in eight years. Um, I believe I was coming into class every Friday for the three weeks I was working on that piece, being like, acting so hard, and I was freaking <laughs> out all the time. Um, but I do, I miss it a lot. I miss, um, I miss being able to show my take on a character. Um, while I love guiding and like watching how someone else does it, I do miss it as well. I miss singing. I was a musical theater performer. Um, and it's, yeah, I think about it a lot. I, I hope that this play about Helen Frankenthaler continues. Um, I actually have a whole other idea on, on where to take it. Cause it was exciting when also, it was a crazy experience cause we, we're co-creating it, co-directing it, co-acting in it. And I was painting. It was literally all the parts of my life inside of one piece. And I had never been more petrified in my life. Um, but I was painting on these 22 foot long canvases on the floor and it was just physical and energetic. And then suddenly remembering how to control my breath and how to also represent this human that I deeply care about that I am now responsible for. And I loved that and always love it. So we'll see, I don't need it to be Broadway, but I, yeah, I miss performing. Do you find that painting, do you think painting helps you as an actor? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sure it does. It's very, uh, it, it is, you can't control painting in a way. 
right? Like, yes, I'm in charge of the brush. Yes, I choose the colors, but like there is, there's a level of, I understand the medium. I understand I'm working on canvas. I understand that I'm working with acrylics. I understand that I have brushes of different sizes and hair types. And I know how to use all of those tools, but the combination of them is always a different story. And I think as an actor, it's actually no different. Like, I know there's a script. I know I have my directions. I know that I have all of these things, but the ability to sit and watch and experience it is the same way that we experience life. I think maybe this is it. I think painting taught me the most of how reflective art is of life, which I think I always knew peripherally, but I never actually understood the like, the sheer rawness of how true that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I came to something, I've had the thought before, but it like comes back from time to time of just like as much, like as, as many critiques I have about the way acting is taught sometimes. Um, I also think, oh yeah, it was just like, I was hanging out with some, some actors and there was like a non, but there was like one non-actor who's hearing stories about drama school and she's like, oh, I can know that sounds terrible. And I was like, yes. I was yes. like, but um, the flip side of like the horror stories is that you do, even though it can get to an unhealthy level, you yeah. spend a lot of time studying human behavior and like yourself mm -hmm. and connecting to yourself, maybe disconnecting, but you, you just whether the work is healthy or productive or not, it's work that you're doing on human yeah. behavior. And so I think in its best, um, like a, one of the best side effects that can happen is it can actually help you be a better person. Yes. And um, vice versa of that, I, I believe one of the best things you can do as an actor is work on yourself as a person outside of yeah. acting. Um, mm -hmm. And you'll, the vessel that's showing up to act will hopefully be more present and ready and available as hopefully we grow as people, we're more present, available, ready to listen and participate, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. I think where I really started hitting my stride as a theater maker as after I had, the last school I went to was the new school where I'd studied um, nonprofit management and the anthropology of mental health. I was double majoring. Mm -hmm. And anthropology was, um, mental health I found was the, was like the thing I'd been missing because it really, really taught me to think about how, how people around the world operate. And it made me think a lot about different religious communities, different uh, cultures, everything. And so much of theater is, you know, theater is the ultimate melting pot, hopefully. And that everyone, plays are written from different backgrounds, from different ideologies, different everything. And just being able to sit, listen, and ask questions ultimately makes you a better artist. Yeah. On the religion thing, it's interesting because mm. I've, um, I would say overall, my journey has been a lot of like 
losing my religion or like deconstructing it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever quite considered myself an atheist, um, although it depends on the, that definition. All of right. these things depend on your definition. Um, um, I have called myself like agnostic before, but all of them are ultimately labels. And also like, it's sort of like for me, Alec personally, I don't agree with the contradiction of like science and religion. Yeah. Like when I, when I read them, like, I think they're both analyzing the same, to me, they come to the same like kind of conclusion, um, which is like, we're all interconnected. Um, whether you want to believe that or not. Um, And basically the thing I've been kind of thinking about recently is some of the things that I've kind of written off about religion before that I think a lot of people do is sort of like we oversimplify things. So it's like um, praying. Oh, you can't just pray and expect things to happen. At the same time, if you talk to like, behavioral scientists and stuff like that. Mm. They'll talk about meditation. They'll talk about visualization, which is the same thing. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's different names and you might be calling it different things, but it's basically in practice. So for me, I've been kind of realizing I don't like dogma um, and right. I don't like being limited at the same time for me yeah building a meditation practice maybe it'll be praying one day maybe it'll be uh transcendental meditation one day but right. like building these like there's something to like the ancient wisdom and the modern like mental health science and so yeah. kind of for me bridging those because i think to me one of the big ills of society right now Mm. is that collectively our like the u.s religion is what's printed on money it's like our god is money and i don't think that that's healthy no you know what i mean um so kind of figuring out how to connect to each other like that's what it's about and yeah and and painting writing whatever that thing is for you that like yeah that lights you up do that thing you know absolutely yeah i mean every culture at the end of the day is connected through stories and storytelling right and every religion is based on tales and folklore and it's just at the end of the day like to me faith is just something whatever kind of gives you comfort at the moment to deal with the world and to deal with what's happening for you. So if that's money, great. If it's God, that's great. If it's, I don't know, just loving, giving what you want to get, then that's great. Like it's all so up in the air, but I, and you know, for some people, faith is has to be the centerfold of who they are. And for others, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I'll think about this. And mm-hmm. all those options are fine. But I do, 
I find faith and spirituality to be such a fascinating thing in the arts Mm -hmm. and how much we use it or praise it or rally against it. And I, I think all the angles are important, but I don't know. I, I've always had such a tricky balance with it. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating. Um, Jen Waldman recently, she said something about that where (laughs) it's something that everybody does. It's like when, when you get cast in that role, Mm. when something happens good, a lot of times we're like, yeah, it all like, it all happened for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) But we forget, (laughs) we forget a lot of times um, when challenges come up that then those have to be for a reason too so it's like both are fine but it but and I have been kind of trying to like believe it is like kind of what you make of it so whatever I can do to get myself centered again but when things come up as they do and especially when I'm like feeling really zen like oh yeah man everything like I was talking shit a month ago I was just like, yeah, I told people a couple of times, I was like, I feel like I can't lose because any loss is a lesson. And then I got a couple of monkey wrenches thrown at me. Like, yeah. And I feel like it's like the universe answering, you know, but I choose to look at it like that because, because yeah, I think like, yeah, we gotta, I don't want to be miserable in this life like while I'm here so it's like the obstacles how can I how can I tell Mm -hmm. another story right other thing with storytelling yeah exactly I just I also think our own personal faith right be it atheism agnostic Christian Jewish Muslim whatever it is right but I think our personal faith is going to constantly change And like, you know, one of my favorite quotes ever is by Dear Twyla Tharp, where she says, you know, the person you will be in five years depends on the people you meet and the books you read. And I, I think that that is so, I definitely butchered that Can you say that again? Yeah, I'm not saying it word for word. But the the person you will become in five years is dependent on the people you meet and the books you read. And I think that is also so true of everything, right? Like our faith changes because of things that happen to us. Our, um, Our joy, our ability to exist is constantly shifting because of the experiences that we have, because of the people that come into our lives or leave our lives. Like I, I'm always kind of taking stock when I suddenly have new anxieties or I'm suddenly not anxious about certain things anymore. And I realize it's, Oh, it's because I actually have a friend that is a newer friend in my life. And they experience a lot of ups and downs. And because I'm there for them often, I'm now experiencing those kind of ups and downs. And is that good? Is that bad? Or is it neither of those things? Is it just something to now kind of take care of within myself? And I think that, you know, I, for a while I was dating someone that was a very, very, very different faith than me and was very intense inside of their faith. Um, and it suddenly made me 
not necessarily more intense inside of my own beliefs, but it made me more aware of my own beliefs Mm -hmm. in a way I'd never been before. And that was so fascinating. Like every show I work on, I feel that my faith in humanity changes, my reasoning, my, um, my listening changes because I'm suddenly listening for new things or looking for different things, even on a subconscious level. And I think that that's completely the same. I think, you know, I have a friend who, uh, I'm rambling a bit, but I have a friend who, I'm so glad, she purposely every year as a Christian would go to a different church every year. She did not stick with one church. She was there. And it was because she was like, I, I like my faith being challenged and I like seeing where it's consistent. And I like being in new communities and seeing how new people operate. And I thought that was so beautiful. And I found that to be a really useful and healthy way to think about these things that we deem make us who we are. So, yeah. 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 I had the thought recently about storytelling that it's like, you know, we hold the mirror up to other people. I might have a slight lag here. Oh, you got me. Yeah. Um, we hold the mirror up. We tell stories to other people, but like we tell stories also as we're telling them to other people, like we're telling them to ourselves and kind of re framing our own narrative as we tell it. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote some shit well, down. Well, it brings me back, back to funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. It kind of, it brings me back kind of full circle to the play that I'm working on, to Damascus. It's in Syria. Because I think like the way that we remember our own lives or the moments that we imagine our lives become real than what we actually experienced I it's like we're forever in a game of telephone right like the way that I will read this conversation that you and I are having right now and there's going to be going to feel different a week from now and that could either be because I'm like oh I'll say that or oh I'm really proud of myself for saying that and then if someone asks me how was your last week? And being like, oh, I was interviewed for this podcast. It was really cool. It was with my friend Alec. He's a badass. And as time goes on, being like, at first, yeah, it was a conversation about creativity. And then later on, it can end up being like, it was a conversation that actually was more about humanity. And suddenly the narrative shifts for me. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that we all kind of forget that every thing that is presented is always shifting. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, we're starting to get like a slight lag here. Um, but yeah, we are. Um, but I feel pretty good about this conversation. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about today? No, I actually, I feel like we've hit on 
a good amount of stuff. Unless you want me to go into a rampage about watching Married at First Sight and the thoughts that that's been given. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone needs that. So. Did you see Cobra Kai? Which, which, which thing? Sorry? Cobra Kai? No. Do you know about Cobra Kai? No. You know about Karate Kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Cobra Kai on Netflix. It was first done for YouTube. It's them now. And basically, it's from the perspective of Johnny Lawrence. <gasps> and he's kind of like washed up, down and out. Um, and Daniel is a used car salesman. No. And, and Daniel is going to karate chop the competition. Oh my God. It is yes, so good. Is. There's two seasons. Um, Great. And the third season is going to come out. But that that's one of my, I mean, oh I loved the Karate Kid as a, as a kid. Yeah. Um, I've also seen, I don't know if you've ever seen the thing, t- talking about narratives actually, where some people have posited and kind of recut like things from the Karate Kid and posit yeah. that actually Daniel was the kind of the antagonist actually all along. Yeah. He was the one causing trouble and not letting things go and initiating a lot of the like violence so yeah. um yeah it's pretty great um cool oh my gosh i will have to check that out it's i must you know yeah well cool. it's i'm glad we finally were able to sit down and talk same um yes. i look forward to seeing damascus when that's up yeah, I will let you know. Yeah, keep me posted. I'll, I'll be watching. I'll be watching. So keep me posted. Cool. Um, and this will probably this will be in the show notes, or that'll be in the show notes um, when people are listening to this. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks. Cool. Well, thank you. I gotta go. Let the the dogs are protesting. Um, yeah, I need to go <laughs> meet somebody. Cool. <laughs> great. Good. All well, right. good to see you, and I'll see you soon. So that was my conversation with Sharon Hellaby. Check out Damascus. It's in Syria. Now it's also a play on Instagram. Um, That is up now about a weekend. So there's a few more weeks of that if you want to see it as it comes out, as I've been doing. The links for that are in the show notes, as well as uh, art by Sharon. Follow her. Uh, I also want to clarify in the beginning, I said we're sort of becoming friends, and I just want to say, yeah, that's my buddy. Sharon is my buddy. At least, I think we're friends. Um, But yeah, she's one of my absolute favorite people um, gotten to know in New York in the last couple of years. Um, But actually, I've met a lot of really great people, you know? There's a lot of great people in the theater community. Um, There's also a lot of great wildlife my dogs, again, if you hear them in the background, are going crazy again. Um, so I don't know what it is. Uh, so thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, if you need coaching or artwork or collaboration, hit up Art by Sharon. She's awesome. She's amazing. Follow her. Um, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, share. And I will be here soon. Um, love you. I hope you are feeling inspired. Uh, 
voter registration deadlines is coming up for a lot of places around the country um, on October 5th, which may be today when you're listening to it. There's a few more days for New York, but register now if you haven't. And whatever you believe, whatever you vote, um, you know, use your vote to, to share your voice and participate and protect democracy. Democracy dies in the darkness when, when we don't realize the power that we have as people. Um, so we need to stand up and be counted. Now my dogs are going crazy, so I'm going to cut it short here. Thank you for listening. Um, also, if you want to su- support us on page- Patreon, um, we have that too if you go to the website, BushwickVarietyShow.com. All right, and you can hear my dogs saying what they're going to say. So thank you very much. Have a good one. Um, be the change you want to see in the world, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Oh, and now they're chilling out. Okay, well, peace. Peace.